Welcome to the Keras Molecular Minute Podcast. I am your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm the chairman of the Precision Oncology Alliance at Keras Life Sciences. The Precision Oncology Alliance is a large research collaborative network that is composed of over 45 cancer centers across the globe with similar interest in looking at precision oncology, at precision medicine, and how we can incorporate these information, big data, artificial intelligence, molecular information, clinical outcomes to improve the way we care for patients and to hope that we can transform the ability of taking care of our patients to the better. You are tuning in to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast, where I will be speaking with Dr. Sonic Preet Aulak from West Virginia University. I'm going to apologize to the fact that I may have mispronounced uh, Sonic's uh, name and last name, but she had promised, she promised me that she will forgive me because I struggled with that and she will correct me when she comes on the show. I've asked her to join me and to be on the podcast so we can actually take a look at the impact of precision oncology in the way we take care of brain tumors. I think it's fair to say that brain tumors usually have poor prognosis, and I really wanted to understand from Sonic a little bit better into how does really precision oncology or precision medicine have been incorporated in the way she and her colleagues take care of patients with brain tumors, specifically glioblastoma multiforme. And before I air the episode that I taped with Dr. Sonic Fritt Olak, I would like to ask you to find the show on all podcast outlets. You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, uh, pretty much Spotify, pretty much anywhere you consume podcasts. Rate the show, subscribe to the show, and write us a brief review. I will be very grateful for that. Without further ado, the Keras Molecular Minute podcast with Dr. Sonic Preet Olak. Well, it is really my pleasure to have Dr. Sonic Preet Olak today on my podcast, she is going to correct how I slaughtered her name because I, I, despite the fact I practiced, but I probably did not pronounce it correctly. Sonic, it's really a pleasure to have you on the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. Thank you for taking the time. But first of all, for listeners, correct me and tell me how do I pronounce your name properly? I think you did a decent job, but it's pronounced as Sonic Preet All Luck. And for the sake of convenience, you can call me Sonic. Okay, we would like that. So, uh, Sonic, for listeners who are listening to you for the first time and get to know you, uh, where do you work, where you are, and how do you divide your day? What what do you do in terms of day-to-day activities at work? So, I am currently working as an assistant professor of medicine at uh, West Virginia University. I'm a translational neuro-oncologist, so I uh, focus on brain cancers and spine cancers in the clinic. I focus on glioblastoma in my laboratory research, and I focus on clinical trials. And right now, our clinical trial portfolio is basically about glioblastoma and uh, you know brain metastasis. Dividing time... So professionally, I think I'm 
always on the go, just like we all are. And I do have downtime when I read books, listen to podcasts, which we were just discussing, all the amazing podcasts, including yours, uh, you know, and just learning and reading more about this disease, which is devastating glioblastoma. And the reason I got into this is really, really fascinating. So when I was a fellow at Mayo Clinic, I joined it in June of, July of 2016, sorry. And I went to talk to my chair because I was very daring, I think, or crazy. I said, um, he was chair of uh, Hemong Division back then. And I said, I, I'm interested in working in your lab. And his first question to me was, what do you want to be? And I looked at him, I said, what do you want to be? I am already a Hemong fellow. What else do I need to do? I didn't say that to him, but in my mind, I was thinking about that. And then I said, okay, um, he said, brain tumors, what do you think about them? I said, they're very fascinating. I I wanted to be a neurosurgeon once upon a fine time. So I think brain tumor sounds really good to me. And then I asked him the same question. Can I work in your lab? And he goes, you got to prove yourself. I had no idea what I'm going to prove myself as and how I prove myself. I said, okay, fine. I, you know, the, I, I like to take challenges and I rolled up my sleeve. And for next six months, I have no idea what I did, but I just saw brain tumor patients along with my hemong stuff. And I went back to him and I said, hey, did I prove myself? Can I work in your lab? He's like, yes, you can. Um, till this date, that's a mystery. So that's how I got into a, into a lab whose focus was heme malignancy. But then I started working on glioblastoma. And as a result, it changed how I look at brain cancers. It has completely changed. And um, I think I was the first fellow from Mayo Clinic, uh, Florida campus at least, in the last 20, 30 years who graduated and, and had a lab um, after graduation and as an assistant professor. So I'm going to stop here so can, you can ask me more questions. That's, that's, really, that's really a very nice story, Sonic. But, uh, so right now, you're at West Virginia. Yes, so you have a lab and you're seeing patients in clinic, what, like twice a week, three times a week? How does that work? So I see patients, I mean, officially once a week. Um, but sometimes I, I do see them when, especially, you know, because of COVID and other sure. Sure. weather conditions sometimes here and there. But then I am also in the hospital once in two months. Um, what, what does your, your lab focus on? So, uh, you know, I know you said uh, GBM, which is for listeners, glioblastoma multiforme, but is there, like, is there any specifics you can share with listeners in terms of your specific focus in the lab? Because you mentioned the word translational, and I want to make sure listeners understand what you mean by translational. So translational labs basically focus on taking the best outcomes from lab to the clinics. And when I say best outcomes, that means we study the biology, in my case, glioblastoma, which is one of the deadliest brain cancer, one of the most common brain cancer. Uh, for example, in my lab, we work on exploring and understanding the biology of the disease, that why it happens, and why is this disease such a bad disease that the survival is really dismal. And with the focus of 
it being translational, you try to understand most important thing, which is the signaling pathway. And because our knowledge about biology in general, in all cancers is advancing. So we use various molecular inhibitors, targets, drugs, and then really use it in our Petri dishes and then in our mice models, and then propose a proof of object clinical studies in in patients. But this whole process takes time and sometimes years. And once you're lucky, you have found a target, then perhaps less. In in my case, I have proposed a couple of studies, but one of them took still taking at least four to five years. So the, the so the word translational is very broad, but you can compile it and say that when when you when my lab has found a target in glioblastoma, we go after it, test it in all different scenarios, and take it to the clinics to help the patients and expand it further, mm-hmm. not just restricting it to the institutional, you know, one institution, but multi-institutional using various other cooperative group platforms. That's very interesting. So, so Sonic, you know, precision oncology, you want to talk a little bit about precision oncology or precision medicine, how it applies to the field that you are working at, which is again, brain tumors and specifically GBM. I guess my first question is, you know, when you hear that term, what that really means to you as a researcher and as a clinician, and then maybe take me through down memory lane into, have you seen career-wise that the, that when we talk about precision oncology or precision medicine, has this really had an impact on treating or investigating or analyzing brain tumors or diseases of the brain? This is such a fascinating question because when uh, when I started career in oncology and it's not too long ago. Yeah, we don't were, give away your age. Don't give away your age. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, you'll feel bad. <laughs> Just so uh, precision oncology to me always meant that, and to this date it holds true that you are basically you know redefining the laws of oncology and apply it to individual needs and customizing your treatments and your understanding, your figuratively understanding about the patient as a whole and then applying your oncology knowledge, be it treatments, be it scans, be it a conversation. So for me, it's a, it's, it's a, big umbrella, it's a basket under which there are various categories. Yeah, but um, I, I love what you, I love the um, redefining the laws of oncology. I love that statement. Because we truly are. When I uh, read the literature in the, in the, you know, two decades ago, three decades ago, and especially after I started working in the lab, I realized how much work goes into from time of an inception of an idea to actually completion of that idea in the lab to take it to the clinic, do an FDA approval process, and then applying it to a wider patient population. And that's clearly 
something which we should be very proud of. But at the same time, there are so many layers to the disease itself that it's not one person's task. That's why we have teams who can help us taking those layers away one after the other in order to really precisely treating the patient. And and with the you know with with recent use of immunotherapies and targeted therapies and these terms now seem cliche because we are using it left right and center but 10 years ago perhaps not and when i when i am in the clinic and when i am in the lab and i'm surrounded by uh, students you know undergraduates and graduates i, I it, it makes me happy that we are able to see this transformation where even if I do not have a clinical trial to offer to the patient, but when I see that there is this gene in the tumor cells, which I have an available treatment for, or I have colleagues all over the place, uh, all over the United States where they have clinical trial for, I pick up my phone, I either talk to the, uh, you know, uh, people who can help me get that drug available to my patient or send my patient in a, in a cost-effective manner to another institution. So it's very collaborative, but we have to be very, very careful when we speak to the patient, most importantly, because I don't want to take away the hope and give them the message that this is the end of it, just like we were having the conversation prior to starting this podcast. But at the same time, providing them relief and comfort that there is one, two, three, four, five, perhaps six options available. Now, in a disease like glioblastoma, so much is not known, but still it's the tip of the iceberg and so much more to explore. So I think for me, precision medicine is something which I practice every single moment I am in the room with the patient or I am in the lab with my cancer cells. So, Sonic, can can you give us an example? Can can you give me and listeners an example where, in GBM or in brain tumors, uh, you know, doesn't have to be GBM, obviously, where there has been some changes, either in treatment, in prognostication, in prediction, in diagnosis, whatever it is, where there was some application to precision oncology or sequencing that really led to a better understanding of the tumor or the disease or the course, whatever it is. I'm just trying to get a sense into how this really applies to your particular area specifically. I think it is a it has a significance role. And you know, we can we can talk about the you know real deep scientific aspects of it, but I'll give you I I have personally seen a couple of examples, you know, BRAF, MEC. You know, these are although very rare in in um, brain tumors, especially in glioblastoma. Then IDH, wild type or mutant type. This is another kind of an enzyme. Then there is an MGMT methylated, unmethylated status. How did all this become possible? Precision oncology. And then there are so many other markers which we know of. We have seen it in 
our knowledge has expanded from lung cancer such as PD1, PDL1, tumor mutational burden. And, and what these markers are basically either prognostic markers, they tell us how patients will do if one or the other is absent or present. And these are therapeutic markers, meaning they will guide the treatment. And to me, both of these are essential components of precision oncology, specifically in my area, which is brain cancer, which is, you know, glioblastoma. I keep saying glioblastoma because I, I really think this is one tumor which has not budged since, since, since a long time. And I have, it happens in young patients, it happens in older patients. And, and what we do in, in precision oncology is we do part of gene testing. We don't do the whole DNA sequence. We do, do whole exome sequencing. To, and to listeners, whole exome sequencing is um, nothing but w- what can be transformed or translated into actionable proteins. And those proteins can be targeted by various drugs, which we were just talking about. So in the field of uh, brain cancer, uh, you know, there's so many uh, ongoing clinical trials and patients are getting benefit out of it. And more we are trying to explore the depth of these uh, responsible genes, both in the clinical side and both in the laboratory side, we are seeing that it's influencing or it's driving the the formation of these tumors. So we are not just looking at the tumor which has formed, we are also trying to halt the process from the beginning. And uh, I have... I have seen, and when I say prognosis is dismal in glioblastoma, it's really, uh, you know, bad as the data suggests. But I've I've seen um, select or sub sub select patients getting um, benefit out of it because we thought about performing these tests, we thought about analyzing those tests, and then we went after the target. With the uh, with the treatments from our basket, and 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 again have a very candid discussion with with the patients because they want to live and they want to live with the quality of life. Do you do you feel like right now when you're faced with a newly diagnosed patient with GBM, the the time of sequencing is the time of diagnosis, or is this when they don't respond to first line therapy? I think you know the hope is some of these patients are surgically resectable when you can. Obviously, I realize not always you can, but um, what's your sense into the proper timing of sequencing, if any? I mean, I think I hear sometimes folks say, "Well, I'm going to sequence all of my patients at the first time when I get the specimen." Some say only if they relapse. I'm not really sure if there's a consensus. Uh, any thoughts on that? I sequence them at the time of their first diagnosis. I sequence them at the time of their first recurrence, if it is resectable, if it can be biopsied. And then every time there is recurrence, that means that there is a clonal evolution. And that means that the treatment which we tried killed the cells which were you know, sensitive to this particular combination, but the rest 
and we talk about you know stemness these days stemness of these cancer cells and the and the cells the cancer cells which are left behind they may have a different subset of genetic profile and we got to go after them so in my practice and uh, most of my colleagues whom i know whom i work with we tend to send the test at the first diagnosis and then upon recurrence and as you know with circulating tumor dna we also are able to uh, send the blood for these tumor cells and see what the pattern is it's still not from tissue but it gives us some information to to guide the uh, next steps of treatment Where do you see the future, Sonic, in terms of, you know, let's say me and you having this conversation in the next six months or a year? I think, you know what, for GBM, let's not do six months because uh, <laughs> a little bit uh, too short. But let's say in a year or so, where do you see us heading moving forward? I think we are heading into an era of treatment in brain cancers, in glioblastoma, where genotype-directed treatments will not only be offered systemically but also where the tumor resides we will not only be seeing chemotherapeutic one chemotherapy option one targeted therapy option one immunotherapy option we will be seeing the combination of these treatments and we will also be seeing the you know sophisticated treatments um which are in the preclinical stage such as lipophilic nanoparticles because these kind of treatments are are meant to the, the, the way they are preparing this is these treatments should be able to go to the tumor site after crossing the blood brain barrier which is one of the biggest hurdle in getting the drugs to the site of the tumor despite knowing what that tumor looks like so i i think uh, future is not just in the kind of treatment but future is also where we are putting these treatments in and then have the right kind of follow up maybe improvement in diagnostic imaging you know and trying to look for signs which is already in development lot has been going on to see the tumor progression to see the growth well in advance before even trying to manipulate the tumor and its um, environment all right well you've been really very very generous with your time and i really appreciate any final words you would like to leave our listeners with in terms of just whatever you want to leave them with i think you know our listeners generally are very excited about precision oncology target therapy just how we really target all of these treatments any final words you would like to leave us with i would say a philosophical note <laughs> um and that is that just have that hope and that authentic hope and 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 relay that to the patients because they understand what we are trying to do it just that we have to break it down for them in a in the most simplistic way what we are trying to achieve with the test which we are trying to order and why dna and why um, what is a marker 
what targeted therapy uh, what is the difference between targeted therapy and chemotherapy or immunotherapy i think they they when you just talk to them and have that candid conversation with them they understand and they get excited about science and when they get excited about science i my patients uh, bring articles from all over and and first time they would say doc it's it's i i'm just i know it's it sounds so bad but here's this article can you read about it and i, I every time they bring i'm surprised so you know have that relationship with them that they 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 can ask you appropriate questions and together we make the difference uh, you and i will make the difference with 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 patient centered care patient focused care and doing the right thing for them always that is wonderful look i want to thank you so much for joining us on the caris molecular minute podcast i am going to have you again next year like we talked about and i'm expecting a lot of advances in brain tumors utilizing precision oncology and sequencing methodology Thank you, folks, for joining the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. I appreciate your loyalty and I appreciate you listening. Let me know how we're doing by sending me a direct message on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan, that's at C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N, or by emailing me at cnabhan at karisls.com. You can find this podcast and all prior episodes of the Keras Molecular Minute on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, all podcast outlets. Subscribe, rate, review, and refer a friend or a colleague to the show. Until next time, thank you and take care of yourselves.